to episode nine of The Nook. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I'm here to help you by answering your questions on teaching students with severe and profound disabilities, including autism. We have a great question here today from Caitlin, but before we get to her pressing question, I want to remind you that you can have your questions answered right here on The Nook by heading over to the website at www.noodlenook.net and submitting your question. If you have your question chosen for the podcast, you'll receive a free resource from the Noodle Nook store. And our store has visual supports for communication and behavior, vocational training tools like DIY task boxes, adapted novels and activities to help students develop academically as well, including our new STEM builder bins, where you can DIY dollar store your own STEM activities for the classroom. Perfect for special ed teachers or autism unit teachers. So make sure you head over to Noodle Nook and enter your question today. All right, so here's the question from Caitlin. Caitlin wants to know how she can lessen the stimming behavior of a student. They are making other students have more behaviors. Ooh, Caitlin, I have been there before. If you are new to teaching students with autism or new to an autism unit and you're working with students who have stimming behavior, that is self-stimulatory behavior, where they might hum, uh, repeat phrases in an echolalic fashion, They might flap their hands or um, flap their fingers, just something kind of repetitive, uh, physical or vocal behavior. So sometimes students like that can trigger behaviors in the students around them. Um, I think about sitting in meetings with some of my fellow teachers and them tapping pencils literally drives me crazy. So it would be something like that, a repetitive behavior that might be triggering the behaviors of others because they're responding to the repeated noise or that sensory overload. So um, that can be a really big problem, Caitlin. I totally understand why you want to address that. The first thing I think we have to do is really talk about understanding why a student is having self-stimulatory behavior or stimming. Just four things I want you to think about. One is there may be sensory overload in the classroom already. So if a student is feeling too much sensory input coming in, you might find that the stimming behavior increases because they're just trying to channel that that overstimulation. So if you look around your room and you see that there's an overabundance of lights, sounds, smells, that stimulatory, or excuse excuse me, um, sensory information is just maybe on overload, it could be that there are some things that you can tweak inside of your classroom. The next reason, it might be stress or anxiety. So it could be that there's been a change in the daily schedule or a change in staff. It could be that there's something going on at home, something that's increasing the stress and anxiety. In order to deal with that, a student might have more self-stimulatory behavior. The next thing that might be causing the behavior is an avoidance. A student could be stimming to avoid work or avoid whatever task or activity is coming next. So think about that in reference to what's going on in your classroom. And finally, I hate to say it, sometimes our students are stimming because they're just trying to fill the time. It could be that the class is not structured to keep them engaged. And in order to just not be bored, they're stimming. So Before we start to talk about how to deal with stimming behavior, I want to make sure that you've done a good reflection here and thought about how the sensory input is looking in your classroom, how much stress and anxiety is going on in your room, uh, how much task avoidance is happening, and then if your students are trying to fill the time or, you know, be entertained or engaged and are participating in stimming behavior because of that. 
So in terms of dealing with stimming behavior, I'm going to give you a couple of tips and tricks that you can use. The first thing is to really have good routine and procedures in your classroom. I always tell people, if you got to your classroom at, before the school day started, say you got to work 10 minutes early, would you sit in your seat and look at the walls and wait the 10 minutes until your contract time started before you set into your routine and procedures? Probably not. That would be very strange, right? So when we get to the places that we expect to do things, we, we want to know that there's a routine and an expectation and something for me to do right away. If your students are getting to your room and they don't have anything to start with, if your students are transitioning back from classes and they get to your room and there's nothing for them to do or something for them to start, you could see that there's this breakdown in your transition and routines where students are filling the time with stimming behavior. Another thing that routine will do is really calm that anxiety and stress because a student will always know what's coming next. Now, you may be able to put up a classroom schedule to show some sort of routine and system that's going to be going on for, throughout the day, but you can also add in a personal visual schedule for the student. You can add in a first then um, micro schedule for the student so they have a way to see what they're supposed to be doing now and what is coming immediately afterwards. That routine is really going to reduce the stress and anxiety, possibly deal with the avoidance, and also make sure that you're filling the time appropriately for the student. So I would really suggest that you have really good clean routine and procedures in place, and you supplement that with some visuals so that a student is very much aware of what's going on throughout their day. The second tip for you is to lower the sensory. So like I mentioned before, sometimes stimming behavior is triggered because there's a sensory overload happening. So I would suggest that you really go through and take a good hard look in your classroom and see, is there a noise overload? Is there a light overload? Is it there a smell? What is it that's overloading the student in the classroom? And how can we direct that sensory desire, need, or input in a different way? So I know, and this sounds completely insane when I tell people afterwards, but it's totally true. I had a student who was having uh, some rather aggressive behaviors, almost systematically. It was like this kid was going through cycles of behavior like you could time it on a clock. It was the strangest thing, and it was a new student new to us, and we didn't really have any reference point to what could be going on to trigger all of these behaviors. And time went on, and we were trying to figure out the antecedents, and we were working hard to figure it all out. And we finally determined that he was reacting to the sound of the ice machine in the refrigerator in the kitchen adjacent to the classroom. He could hear that ice machine, and something about the sound of the ice machine triggered him to be aggressive and violent. And that ice machine, just like clockwork, was cranking out ice systematically throughout the day, triggering the behavior systematically throughout the day. I tell you that story because sometimes it might not be obvious to you what is causing the sensory overload in your classroom to really sit and listen and smell and look at what's going on in your room, sometimes beyond what you just generally see in here. Um, there might be something in your classroom that is triggering stress, anxiety, or sensory overload, causing a student to stim more. The third thing I want you to do is find a replacement for the stimming. So there's a, a sensory sensation that happens when a student stims that brings them a little bit of calm. Uh, and that sensory input for them is helping them to drown out either the sensory overload, drown out the stress and anxiety, and also fill that time. 
So if you can find a replacement for that, that's not as bothersome for other students. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the stimming behavior here is. You didn't mention it in your question. I'm not sure if it's a vocalization or a tapping of a pencil or something that's very noisy that's causing the students around you to have a reaction. But maybe you can find a replacement that still allows the student to stim, but not in a way that disrupts everyone else. So if the student is making vocalizations or doing something vocally to, to stim, is it possible that we train them to do it quieter? If a student is stimming by tapping a pencil, is it possible that we give them a hand fidget that doesn't make any noise? We're just looking for a replacement that's going to give the student the same sensation and benefits of stimming without disrupting others. So finding a good replacement will be very important. Finally, we want to make sure that the student has a good coping sequence. If the stimming behavior is because of sensory overload, stress or anxiety, avoidance or filling the time, in either of those situations, the student should have a sequence of getting over that. And I'm going to elaborate on that one a little bit. If a student is trying to fill the time because they don't have anything to do, it may be that we need them to have a coping sequence that allows them to ask for more work or initiate work independently. If a student is um, having stimming behaviors because of avoidance, we might want to have a coping sequence where the student asks for a break or asks to use the timeout area in the classroom. If a student is stimming because of stress or anxiety, it could be that we need the student to ask to go to the calm down area. So as you can see, there's a way for our students to initiate the thing that they really need that's not stimming in order to deal with whatever's causing the behavior in the first place. So by setting out some kind of coping sequence, you can really direct that stimming into something more productive to get the student what they ultimately want in a more appropriate manner. So there's four strategies for you. Routine, definitely supported with visuals, lowering the sensory input, finding a replacement, and establishing a coping sequence. Those would be the four strategies that I would use to deal with stimming in your classroom. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for asking the question. I'm going to send you out a free resource from the Noodle Nook store so that you can kind of get things going with your classroom. I actually suggest that you choose the visual schedule. It has first thens in it already, as well as picture icons from BoardMaker that will probably support you really well in establishing your routine and procedures and getting a first then system going for your students. So good luck with that. And for those of you who are listening who want to have your question answered on the Nook, head over to noodlenook.net and click on the podcast button to submit your question. There are so many questions out there about how to be the best teacher you can be when working with students in the low incidence population and students with severe disabilities like autism. And we all need the best teachers we can get. So y'all stay strong and teach on. Thank you for listening to the Nook and don't miss the next episode by subscribing now.